Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, this is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, and joining me, uh, as always, is the one and only, uh, in fact, he was the original voice of Mr. Slate in the Flintstones cartoon. <laughs> Flintstone, you're fired! <laughs> I love having bad days. Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing, brother? I'm well, thanks. I'm I'm actually just pulling the tail of a toucan right now to let you know that, <laughs> that the workday has started in this case rather than ended. So don't go sliding you know, down. Some that. people listening to us have no idea what we're talking about right now. <laughs> I know, right? right? Welcome young people. You see, the Flintstones was a show that was based on the honeymooners, but it was a cartoon set. In the old days. <laughs> How was that? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we were flipping the, through the, the other days. day. Julia actually got a one of those pop-up books, and it was this marvelous pop-up book of dinosaurs. And she originally got it to give to our nephew who, because he was, you know, he was six and he was really into dinosaurs. Well, it it uh, got lost in, in our packing and unpacking as we moved. And so she just re- rediscovered it the other day, and he's now well beyond dinosaur age and so we found ourselves flipping through a dinosaur flip-up book and it was entrancing and delightful and dinosaurs remain super scary (laughs) (laughs) oh awesome man so uh we are uh making our way through this historic document uh humani vitae uh this year of course being the 50th anniversary of the release of pope paul the sixth uh encyclical letter on human life And uh, we are starting off on um, paragraph 13, faithfulness to God's design. And uh, there's a couple of things in this paragraph that that struck me. Um, First of all, about halfway down through the paragraph, it says, um, talking about the relationship between a a husband and wife. If they er further reflect, they must also recognize that an act of mutual love, which impairs the capacity to transmit life, which God, the creator through specific laws has built into it frustrates his design, which constitutes the norm of marriage and contradicts the will of the author of life. So Pope Paul, the here is laying a foundation for not using artificial contraception here. Yeah. And this is one of those things where I think it's important because he's talking about, as he says, even if the couple is both, uh, you know, mutually choosing to um, use contraception, that doesn't make their agreement in in this act any, it doesn't remove the, the full meaning of what they're doing. They're frustrating the designs of the creator. Um, and that kind of helps us remember this, this fundamental principle that even if you fully commit to an action, if the action itself is wrong, and and is not in accord with natural law, that doesn't make that action all of a sudden okay. You may have varying degrees of what uh, moralists will call culpability in your responsibility. You may not be able to understand that it's a wrong action that you've chosen, but that doesn't make the act good 
just because you agree and fully commit to it. The the act itself has to have the correct meaning in accordance with the will of the creator, as uh, Pope Paul has written here, which is the natural law built into our reproductive function. And I think that that's really an important kind of principle for us to keep in mind going forward, because we are going to be talking about later in this document ways in which the creator has built into our natural human functioning um, at what we call periods of infertility, which we can rightly have access to and recourse to. But this is in accordance with the will of the creator versus artificial contraception, which frustrates the design of the creator. Uh, that's an excellent point that you bring up there, Ken, because sometimes people will say things like, well, if it's outside of marriage, you can't do it. But if it's inside of marriage, well, then that's different. You know, if a husband and wife both mutually agree and they're both in this covenant of the marriage, then it's OK. Because uh, I've heard that also as uh, a reason for using contraception within marriage specifically because they're married. But what Pope Paul the sixth here, which you uh, so beautifully just broke open for us. Uh, uh, definitely um, contradicts that that statement about agreement within marriage about certain sexual acts. Yeah, and he underscores it at the end of this kind of little paragraph when he says, to experience the gift of married love while respecting the laws of conception is to acknowledge that one is not the master of the sources of life, but rather the minister of the design established by the Creator. We co-create with God. We participate in the gift of creation, but we don't do it ex nihilo, as they say. We don't do it from nothing like God does. We do it within the laws that God the Creator has established, and we need to act in accordance with those. We minister the uh, laws. We do not um, create them ourselves. I love that because in the scriptures, the, the word for create is bara in Hebrew, and the only subject of that verb, the only person that creates anything in the Bible is God. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so you're exactly right. We don't create anything. We co-create with God. You know, and that's why, for example, sometimes people have problems with saying um, the Blessed Virgin Mary is co-redemptrix, as if she's equal to Christ in, 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 in uh, the God's plan for redemption and salvation, which is not true. Mm-hmm. It's It's not that she's equal, but she's cooperates in that re- creative relationship that God has established. Right. Just like we, obviously we don't, uh, Jesus did all the redemption, but yet we are allowed to participate in God's plan of redemption because of our baptism, strengthened by the confirmation, fed and nourished by the Eucharist. We are empowered to go forward and to spread the gospel, to share the good news. Um, and, and that's something we don't keep to ourselves. We we have to tell people about relationship with Jesus. And and so in that sense, we are participating with God in that plan of salvation. We Jesus did it all, yep. but he allows us room to participate. And the same thing here in this beautiful gift of life. We're not God. You know, we, we, we participate in this creative power with God, you know, and I love the way he puts it as ministers, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so we're, we're ministering that, that that in a sense that in fact, that's what marriage is. Right. It's the only sacrament where the 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 the, the husband and wife exchange the vows between themselves. Yeah. So, and it's not actually they're the ministers of the sacrament to each other, you know, and, and, the, and the, the bishop, the priest and the deacon is just kind of the official a witness for the church. So I love the word that he uses here, minister, 
um, because I think that's exactly uh, flows out of that marriage uh, covenant as well. Couldn't agree more. And that's the, the both the challenge and the invitation of the gift of marriage and this participation in, uh, as he says, experiencing the gift of married love while respecting the laws of conception that are built into our, our nature. There's one other interesting thing in this paragraph that I think is critical for us, um, especially given all the news and, and all of the hashtag Me Too moment and things like this that are going on, right at the beginning of this paragraph is this idea. He says, men rightly observe that a conjugal act imposed on one's partner without regard to his or her condition or personal and reasonable wishes in the matter is no true act of love and therefore offends the moral order. Look, rape is not a true act of love. That's what the Holy Father is saying. This is an offense. So to impose your will on your married partner in regards to marital love is not to respect that person, and it's not to respect the laws that are built into nature. So forcing yourself on someone, whether that be because you've impaired them due to alcohol or drugs or or whatever it may be, is not truly entering into this relationship as ministers together of married love. And so I think that that's something to acknowledge. The Holy Father has pointed this out in this document in 1968, that again, this is such a prophetic document that continues to be applicable to us in our day and and age, even 50 years later. Yeah, and, and it brings up an interesting point. Have you said that the conjugal act imposed on another's partner without regard for his or her condition or personable or reasonable wishes? You know, I'm thinking of a situation where, say, because um, this this is reality today, because I've had to deal with this with couples that have come to me um, in kind of a, a counseling situation where, you know, they're young and, you know, they they're not always following the, the beauty of the church's teaching when it comes to conjugal, the conjugal act. And, sure. and so maybe they're both contracepting when they get married. And then one spouse discovers the beauty of the theology of the body and tries to show the spouse, the other spouse, the other spouse is just not open to this, you know, they're just not getting it. But the other spouse becomes convinced in, in their heart that, you know, this is something that this is beautiful and this is true. And, and the heart starts to move and the conscience starts to form more deeply mm-hmm. and they start to move into deeper intimacy. But the other uh, spouse is where they are and, and to the point where one spouse becomes convinced that he can no longer participate in this contraceptive act. Yeah. And the other spouse says, well, you do what you're going to do, but I'm going to still do what I need to do. And so now. Where does that leave the other spouse? They're participating in this act, which they know is morally wrong, but the other spouse is kind of giving them no choice. If you don't do this, I'm going to leave you, or or this is going to be a huge issue. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's a very difficult situation, I'm sure, um, some married uh, couples find themselves in today. Yeah, you know, that is one of those areas where I think the church does a great service to couples as we are preparing them, when we expose couples to things like natural family planning and uh, the symptothermal method, as, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about uh, a bit later, if not tonight, then, then certainly next week, you know, methods that the church um, says these are lawful uh, means of 
regulation of the spacing of birth, but artificial contraception is not. And when one person's eyes are opened and their conscience becomes convicted, and and like you say, you know, one, one member of a couple finds themselves embracing the church's teaching, you're right. What as a difficult moment there, because it requires full openness, honesty, and increased communication with one's partner. And that means that that begins even before you get to the bedroom. It means in your, as you heard, talking at dinner, as you're, you know, watching television together, whatever it may be, the lines of communication can't just become closed down, but they need to expand ever more, I think. My bride and I, um, you know, don't share our faith tradition, you know, but we have been able to have conversations and and not fortunately been been posed with this situation where we're at loggerheads on the question of contraception. But there are other areas in our life where we need to increase the communication, because really what the Holy Father is talking about here, even in Humanae Vitae, Humanae Vitae, in a way, um, the discussion of birth control is one example of an area where couples, married couples, need to communicate about everything fully, honestly, and listen to the other. It kind of stands in place. It's not just about birth control. It's also about how are we going to raise our children. It's also about how are we going to um, share our finances. How are we going to decide where we are going to live uh, because we have a chance to move somewhere else. All of these questions which require a mutual discussion and a mutual acceptance of one another and listening to one another. All of this is ultimately about communication and communion and being on of one heart and one mind and one will. No, no, absolutely. And you're right, because this these types of conversations, when when you don't have them, uh, lead to serious problems uh, mm-hmm. in the marriage later on down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, in in the situation that, that that I described, you know, what do you do? Like, say, let's just say it's, a, it's the the wife that discovers the beauty of theology of the body, wants to conform her will and her conscience to the teachings of the church, goes to confession, confesses the contraception, and says, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. But my husband says if 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 we don't continue to use contraception, then we're gonna he's gonna leave me, get divorced, and I'm by myself with the kids, and you know, uh, and, and so pastorally in that situation, what what do you do? I mean, yeah. you know, cause, yeah. I mean, because think of, in order for a sin to be mortal, it has to be grave matter, which this certainly is. Yep. The act has to be done with full knowledge, which it certainly is. But here's a third one, deliberate consent of the will. Yeah, full consent. You know, she's saying, I don't want to do this anymore. But yet, if I don't, then that's going to cause a deeper rift and issue within our marriage and maybe even the end of the marriage. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. it, it, it's, but so she's participating, but she, so, so I, so I think, again, here's where the accompanying comes in, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, mm-hmm. You know, so I think, I, 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 if I remember correctly, uh, the woman told me the priest told her that, asked what kind of method they were using for contraception and told her not to use it if, you know, if he's, wants to use something that's for him but she is not to use it yeah. you see what i'm saying yeah. yeah so that she is not actually doing the contraception but she but is but the act is participating in it but she's not in a sense 
willingly doing it because she, right. you see not what I'm giving saying? the full consent of the will. She, she right. So she's not participating in the sense that she's not using the contraception. He is, but if she but that's on his conscience. See, that's the thing. See, so that but that's a real situation. Yeah, I mean, this is real stuff that couples are dealing with. You you would hope that as the uh, the husband has becomes more exposed. That's why these men's conferences and things like this are so important because reaching men is a very different thing than reaching the heart of a woman. You know, sometimes right. it takes another man to you know bring the man to a conference or to a retreat or something like that, and and or or hear this beauty of the theology of the body from a male perspective and maybe prick his conscience a little bit. Say, hey, wait a minute. You know, if he's doing it, what is it about this? Maybe I'm not getting this totally me i'm not why am i not open to the, even listening to what this is all about you know what i'm saying so yeah so i think that's where the, the, the accompanying comes in not accompanying someone to participate deliberately in a sinful action but to help form that conscience to move continually toward the beauty of the church's teaching in this area and to provide a witness if you yourself i mean like you know talking to men that do practice natural family planning and and um who are struggling in their lives and succeeding with God's grace to live in accordance with the with the church's teaching with natural law on this question um, for them to be a witness as well and for them to speak openly about their about their experience uh, as people who practice NFP I mean this is one of the things that I remember learning about in uh, you know in our pre-cana classes before we married and I mentioned this earlier you know the church does a great service when it finds and shares the witness of couples that are able to live this uh, this teaching and who can witness to the joy and the freedom that it brings to them I think next week when we chat about this I found um, a peer-reviewed published study that says that couples that practice NFP are generally happier than those that practice artificial contraception. Ah, see, that's the that, that's what we need to hear. So I can't wait till we get to that because it's so funny because I was just at a uh, a conference and um, someone had asked a presenter, that was, which wasn't me, I mean, I was speaking at the conference, but this question wasn't directed to me, it was directed to another speaker, was asking about a peer-reviewed study that, because they heard, they heard, um, about a study that talked about the benefits of natural family planning over contraception. And the, the speaker brought up the 1993, and we talked about it here, the, the, the September 18th, 1993 study, you know, Mother Teresa kind of versus India, you know, yeah, when yeah. India was imposing uh, sterilization and, and, and contraception as opposed to natural family planning. That was in the British Journal of Medicine. But there was a, a another study, I'm glad that you put your, your hand on it, because um, I'd love to also get that resource for myself to be able to share with people. Let me give a, just a little kind of... Uh preview. It was published in March 2017 in the National Institutes of Health's Frontiers in Public Health Journal. Uh, they asked 2,560 respondents who completed an online questionnaire. Um, it was in German, English, Polish, Italian, Czech, and Slovak. So it was a wide range of couples from around the world. Um, most of them, 89% were married, uh, well-educated, and they described themselves as being um, having a good or very good financial status. So really a, an analogous kind of crowd to a lot of, of what America is in, in many ways, you know. So I'm going to put a link on our website at livingstonesmedia.org to this actual study. And we can talk about it in depth when we when we uh, kind of have are able to devote an entire 
show to discussing NFP and things like that. But this study is amazing because ultimately what they find, and this is a bit of a preview, is that um, that 95% of the women and 55% of the men said that NFP has helped them to know their body better. Uh, 74% of the men and 64% of the women felt that NFP helped to improve their relationship. And 75% of the women and 73% of men said that they are either satisfied or very satisfied with their frequency of of sexual intercourse so that they were happy. So, you know, one of the things that is said all the time about NFP is, well, you know, that just means that we're never going to be able to make love when we want. And the reality is those who are practicing this form of, of uh, you know, lawful form of infertile periods, kind of uh, NFP, three quarters of those couples are saying it's not making me feel like I'm missing out all the time. That's so the, the, um, constant refrain that you hear about NFP. Oh, it can't be done. is entirely shattered by actual peer reviewed studies. Oh, excellent. Can't wait to get to that. Maybe we can bring, uh, that one gal back that we had on the show. Susie Younger. Was, yeah, yes, absolutely. You know, and, bring it, and have her talk about that, too, because uh, we kind of got into this with her. We were talking about uh, Mulieres Dignitatem, yeah. Dignitatem Vocation of Women. But this is a perfect opportunity in talking about uh, this topic. Again, devote maybe a whole show. Yeah. Uh, kind of kind of maybe take a, a break for a show uh, from Jan Vitae and talk about NFP. I think it would be an important contribution, I think, in looking at this document in light of what's going on today in, in, the, in the Catholic world. Well, and you know, NFP is an amazing thing, too, because it was literally developed, as inspired by Pope Paul VI, because Pope Paul VI says in Section 3, and we're going to get to that in several weeks of this document, he calls on doctors to actually examine, study, and learn from the natural rhythms of the human body and the human cycle and to see what we can do to act in accordance with the design of the creator. And Dr. Thomas Hilgers developed this method at scientifically inspired entirely by, by Blessed Paul VI. Heck, when I say, I keep saying Blessed Paul VI, you know what? Honestly, within a month, he's going to be Saint Paul VI. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, awesome. so yeah, so we'll we'll talk so much about that. That's again, this document is prophetic and it's challenging, um, and it has been for the last fifty years. And gosh, even you and I here fifty years later are reading this and able to have this discussion because we see this active in our own lives. We see these questions that are raised that have been addressed, but most people don't take the time to learn the church's response and to see the beauty that Paul VI offers and has offered. And we need to do a better job of reading these and sharing these and witnessing to their strength in our own lives, too. You bring up an important point again that uh, this natural family planning is scientific. Yep. You know, so I think people think, oh, it's just kind of guessing game or, you know, and, and I, I think that's a, still a stigma that, to right. this day Vatican roulette. that many people have. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that's not what's going on at all. No. Because just as the science has improved in, in so many other areas, uh, the science has very much improved thanks to Dr. Hilgers in the area of natural family planning as well. And the great work of the Pope Paul VI uh, Institute. Yep, yep. So, I mean, that that's a wonderful a lasting legacy that was left by Paul VI and Humani Vitae. In our day and age when, you know, we go and we buy everything organic at the grocery store and we and we work to take all the BPA plastics out of our kids' lives, 
and yet we still pop pills and we still, you know, are searching for a male pill. All these sorts of things to modify literally the natural organic methods that are built into our human body. It's it's the height of insanity. It is. And I, lo- I love that fact, too, it's especially uh, you're right. The contradiction. Yeah. Uh, when people talk about, you know, uh, being organic and farm the table and putting good things in your body and not smoking and, uh, you know, only in certain things. Even some people that are vegan that don't eat even butter or milk or yeah. or cheese or anything produced by an animal. You know, they, they go through all this trouble and all this expense, uh, but yet still take <laughs> a pill or still take a pill use or some other kind of me- uh, some other kind of birth control. Or method, putting body things parts. in their bodies. Yep. Exactly. Putting things in their bodies that change the body's chemistry or that that alters a, you know, because isn't a natural um, organic act mm-hmm. and rendering it inorganic. <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah. It, just, it just seems to me to be a contradiction. And, and again, um, and, I, and it's, what's interesting is when I was um, still quite active in the parish and I was doing marriage prep, what's interesting to me is the, the, the say one was Catholics, typically at least in our situation, um, an immaculate heart, there's typically one person who's Catholic, the other person is not Catholic. It typically mm-hmm. a, a kind of an Oregonian kind of person who's like, you know, real nat- good natural law kind of person, but not doesn't understand anything about what the church teaches. But when you explain, you get to this point about NFP, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, what? You know, they, yeah. they actually want to talk about it. Wait, wait a minute, you mean... You don't have to use this because they just assume that, well, of course, we're going to use contraception. What else are we going to do? Right. right. Not knowing that the beauty of this teaching exists. And when you explain it to them and and, and they're actually more open sometimes than the Catholic person is (laughs) (laughs) because because of the when you look at the rhythm and you show them. That's why I want to get the study that you're talking about, too, because I think this is going to even um, build a stronger case for the church's position and the beauty of his teaching in this area. So, so that it's very exciting actually. Yeah, it really is. This is the, uh, this is the beauty again, the prophetic nature of, of humanae vitae is the call, the, the, the honest analysis of what was going on at the time that Paul VI provides with a wonderful, not just an analysis of the contemporary situation, but also a preview of what would happen if we just continued down the same road. And if the church were to cave in on the question, um, in the next few chapters that we're going to discuss or the next few paragraphs that we'll discuss uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to see how this is uh, incredibly incredibly pre- prescient, I think is the only way to describe it. But we have to wait to get to that until next week, Deacon, because believe it or not, yet another quality amount of time has been passed with you here in the uh, in the studio. It's amazing how uh, fast this all goes. But uh, well, until we meet next time, Ken, how can people stay in contact with us and connected to Living Stones? Well, it's easy. Go to livingstonesmedia.org, where we will put links to that study, among other uh, wonderful do- uh, kind of things that have been written about Humanae Vitae and Humanae Vitae, the document itself. So livingstonesmedia.org. You can download all the previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I-R-A-D-I-O. Com. You can also, if you have Twitter, go to at Catholic Stones. We're also on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones and you'll find us there. But until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have your blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones.
You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.